Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Hey, welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching and listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. We fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thank you. We're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. We are back into Daniel today. If you join us for the first time, uh, you know, we spent much of the first portion of the year in Daniel going chapter by chapter. We started we stopped at Daniel chapter 7 before breaking for the spring. Then we picked up in Daniel chapter 8 at the start of the summer. And we'll try to wrap Daniel up here over the next several weeks as summer sort of kind of moves towards its ending point here or the start of the school year. Uh, but the first half of Daniel reads, you know, like a historical narrative. It's full of stories about Daniel and his friends and the Babylonian Empire. And it's very unique in how it's composed. But once you hit chapter 7, all that's going to change. We get into apocalyptic prophecy. From chapter 7 to 12 and things do get more dense and today is probably going to be one of those teachings um, that's dense but that's not a bad thing I think you have to take in the more dense passages in the Bible just like you do the stories so when we left Daniel 9 earlier we had spent time digging into the prayer that he offered for his people, which is National of Israel. That's what the first 19 verses are really all about. If you haven't listened to that message yet, I want to encourage you, go back and do that before jumping into this teaching because it's Daniel's prayer and the frame of mind that he has. It kind of gives way to what we're covering today, which is the famous and yet very murky vision of the 77s, all right? Now, much has been said over the years about this famous prophetic vision. I mean, guys have made giant charts as long as the stage highlighting it, you know. Mathematicians have tried to make all the numbers work. Historians have tried to match up all the events to get a precise timeline together. It's a very well-known, very hotly contested vision within the church, and it has been for centuries. And I say that so you know how complex it is. You know, sometimes we overcomplicate things in the Bible. This is not one of those times. Like, this vision really, truly is complicated in its nature. Before before we get there, though, let's, let's take some time to see how Daniel arrives at this vision in the first place. And to do that, you have to read the first few verses which precede this vision. This is Daniel speaking here, verse number 20. I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. And as I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision, this is chapter 8, what he's talking about, he came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice, and he explained to me, Daniel, I've come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, look at this, a command was given. And now I'm here to tell you what it was, for you're very precious to God. So listen carefully so you can understand the meaning of your vision. All right, so Daniel's been praying in the previous verses for Israel. He's prepared himself for this prayer with fasting and wearing traditional mourning clothes. He's confessing his nation's sin. He's asking God to forgive and restore Israel in accordance with the prophet Jeremiah's words. Now, just a refresher in case you've kind of forgotten or you're new. Jeremiah was the prophet who predicted Israel's downfall because of their sin. And he also prophesied that Israel would be restored 
after a period of exile that he describes as 70 years. So King Cyrus of Persia, he's issued the first decree to allow the Jews to return to Israel as Daniel is recording what we're reading here in chapter 9. And it signals the end of Israel's exile and these two elements, Jeremiah's prophecy and Cyrus's decree, they lean to Daniel's prayer that we're reading about here. There's a few takeaways I want you to notice in the short passage though, okay, uh, before we move on to the vision. First, I want you to see God does answer the prayer that Daniel prays. He sends Gabriel to bring a response to Daniel. And the first mention of Gabriel in the Bible, you know, it happens in Daniel chapter 8. And I think it's pretty clear that, that he plays the role of messenger. He brings messages to Daniel in the Old Testament. He brings a message to Zechariah, who's John the Baptist's father, and to Mary in the New Testament. So I, that's kind of his role, kind of his gig. We don't know how long Daniel has to wait before the prayer is answered, by the way. We're not told that. Uh, but the bottom line here is that it was answered it was it was done perhaps the most frustrating part of praying is, is waiting but don't give up right like keep praying keep seeking God he hears those prayers he does answer them though not always answering them the way we think he should or how we should this is a great example of that because what Daniel's gonna get from Gabriel is not quite the answer he's probably looking for okay so look at verse 23 I really like what Gabriel says here he explains the moment Daniel began to pray, a command was given. Man, don't, like, don't you like that? Like, I wonder sometimes what commands God is waiting to give us, waiting for these prayers to be prayed so all kinds of commands can get unlocked. You know, we, we've said it before in the series. I'm going to say it again here uh, in this context. Before any battle is won in the natural, it's got to be won in the spiritual. What happens here is secondary to what happens spiritually, and it only underscores the spiritual conflicts which are at play in the world all around us. And so Gabriel tells Daniel a command was given, but he also tells Daniel that he's very precious to God. Listen to me today. You, you are valuable in God's eyes. You, you may think no one sees you. You may think you're nothing special, but that's not true. You're precious. You have value. You have worth. God values you as an individual. And I think in a world that is increasingly focused on the good of the collective and the whole, a world that wants to blend everybody together, it's important to know that God has uniquely created you. He loves and he values you. Now Daniel gets to the vision, verse 24. A period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. Let me stop here for a moment. Before we jump to the heart of the vision of the 77s, there are six actions which have to happen, and Gabriel lays them all out right here in verse 24. The first three are more negative in nature, the last three are more positive. So the first two actions, Israel's rebellion and the end of sin, they're playing out right now in front of Daniel, okay? Uh, they're in exile because of their sin. And so Daniel's prayer for Israel's restoration and redemption signals the end of that sin. The third action, that's the atonement for their guilt. That's God removing the consequences for their sin. Can I just tell you too, real quick, that's what Christ does for us. When we died and rose again, He atoned for our sin. He removed the consequences which sin brings, eternal separation from God for every person who believes. So you get this great picture here of the work of Christ on the cross in that little phrase, 
and verse 24. I think that's just really cool. It's unclear what the era of righteousness happens to be. A lot, a lot of you know, folks, kind of cloudy and murky, we're not quite sure what that means. But the fifth action bears a footnote on our end. The confirming of the prophetic vision means that Jeremiah's prophecy is legitimate. It's the real deal. The last action, a little bit tricky. We don't know if Gabriel <clears throat> excuse me, is referencing the temple or the Messiah. So some translations say the most holy one in reference to the most holy place. We're just not entirely sure yet. But regardless, all six have to happen before the completion of the 77s. Whether we're talking about the temple or the Messiah, it doesn't really matter because those actions are completed. He keeps going. Daniel 9.25. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. Okay, check out verse 26. After this point of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed or cut off, some translations say, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood, and war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. Key phrase, the very end. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven, and after half this time, he'll put an end to the sacrifices and offerings, and as, and as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he'll set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. A lot of sevens <laughs> in there. Is your head spinning a little bit after you read all that? Yeah, yeah, I, I feel you. It, it, it's legit, right? So Gabriel helps us break this down a little bit because he actually has these sevens broken into three units. He says there's a single set of seven plus 62 sets of sevens and then a final set a seven. The first two sets are separate, but they're treated as one unit in his description. They encompass the decree from Cyrus to rebuild Jerusalem um, to the coming of the Messiah. Now, we're not sure why they're treated separately, you know. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, we're not sure why they're treated as one unit instead of separate units, but if we remember our guidelines for apocalyptic prophecy, which is take numbers symbolically, not literally, we can kind of see a reason why there's a division there. He's looking at two separate events. The first is Jerusalem being rebuilt with defenses. Think guys like Nehemiah, Ezra, Malachi, that time period right into the New Testament era. The second is the arrival of the Messiah. It's the only place in the Old Testament where the Messiah is specifically mentioned without any metaphorical use. Elsewhere, it's the Prince of Peace, Righteous Branch, Root of Jesse, all that kind of thing. <clears throat> but here, excuse me, here it's Daniel plainly laying it out for us. He's the Messiah, the Anointed One. At the end of the first two units, which is 63 total sevens, the Messiah is killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, which is pretty accurate. Christ had massive followings, but his death on the surface initially certainly seemed to signal the end of his movement. It doesn't appear that he had accomplished a whole lot, but that's only if you look at what he did through a, you know, through a political lens, like the leaders of his day did. Now the next phrase is, is this, a ruler will arise uh, whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. So the end will come with a flood. War and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very 
OEM. It's not as hotly debated as what we're going to look at here next. I mean, that's pretty, pretty self-explanatory. It's likely the destruction of Jerusalem was what we're talking about here, which is AD 70. It's being described. A very important clue is the next sentence, that war and its miseries are decreed from that time, the destruction, to the very end. And in other words, from AD 70 until like the actual end of the world, war and destruction and suffering are going to be prevalent. Well, that seems to match what Christ says in Matthew 24, right? Look at Matthew 24, verse number 6. You'll hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yeah, these things, they have to take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. So we have this long period between the 63rd 7 and the start of this final seven, and it's here where the most debate among theologians really kind of kicks in. And so what, what is this final seven? Well, Gabriel says, uh, in verse number 27, uh, the ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven, but after half his time, he'll put an end to the sacrifices and sufferings, and as a climax to all of his terrible deeds, he'll set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. So we don't know who this ruler is because it's not actually spelled out for us. Now we can probably be sure that it's not the Messiah. And the reason for that is ruler here is associated with destructive actions, not the positive actions you see in verse 25. It's probably not the same ruler who destroys Jerusalem in verse 26 because there's an implicit but very significant gap between that event and, you know, the end of the world, right? So it does appear that this ruler in verse 27 is an entirely different person. Now, two schools of thought kind of kick in here. Um, and I know this is all heady stuff, but stay with me, all right? One group polls the ruler is our friend Antiochus Epiphanes. If you, if you have time, go back and listen to the message on Daniel chapter 8. We talk a great deal about Antiochus because a lot of Daniel 8 has to do with him. He does make a treaty with Israel. He does break it by sacrificing a pig on the altar in the temple. That's the abomination that causes desolation here, okay? But the other group has this view that it's the Antichrist, which would put this final seven in a period known as the tribulation, seven years. That's the last half of the seven years being three and a half years being something called the Great Tribulation, okay? Now, there are some problems with the first group, okay? Namely, Jesus himself mentions the abomination which causes desolation in Matthew chapter 24. So Matthew 24, 15 says, the day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. So, problem if you think this is Antiochus Epiphanes is that Jesus treats this event as if it's not happened yet. It's in the future. So it can't be in reference to what Antiochus does, and that kind of rules out anything, you know, that's happened before the time of Christ. But is it a reference to the Antichrist? So personally, I think it is, but the truth is the text is very murky. We're presupposing a lot if we buy into the idea that it's the Antichrist. We're, we're reading a lot that's kind of like in between the lines at best here. So for instance, we're, we're assuming there has to be a temple 
and obviously one's not built right now. And the sacrifices must be held in this temple regularly for the events to play out as described. And while I have no doubt this could certainly happen in the future, it's not something the Bible points to as like a definite prerequisite for the return of Jesus. So a rebuilding of the temple doesn't actually have to happen from the Bible standpoint. So there's, there's kind of an issue there. Um, so we say, okay, well, well, what do we do with all of this then? Well, you could adopt these theories, right? You could, you could presuppose some things, and that's not wrong to do that, so long as you're not dogmatic about it. What I would encourage you to do is, is actually to leave it alone. So we, we allow for the tension between fact and theory to take place because we don't really have a clear-cut, precise interpretation. Now, that's not like the sexy position to take here, uh, which is what you know a lot of people want. They want to take a hard stance on their theories and treat them like fact and that kind of stuff. But, but while attempts to make the 77s work literally have led to some interesting arguments, and they certainly have. Nothing's really been conclusive, and quite honestly, you got to do a lot of crazy mathematical gymnastics to kind of make it all work out. I think that sort of thing by the way, misses the entire point of, of this text. Remember the first lane we stay in for interpreting apocalyptic prophecy is to be cautious. So we don't want to jump to conclusions. You want to stay as true to the text in its original design as we possibly can. So what we're given in you know, chapter 9 is not information to determine the exact time that Christ will die and the exact way things are going to unfold in the end. That's not the purpose of the text. The purpose of the text is to point to God's determined timing of the end of sin and suffering for Israel without revealing all the details. As much as we wish that God would reveal the details or certain details would be present, it just wasn't in the cards. He simply did not feel the need to show everything he's holding here. And, and, and what that leads to us today is this conclusion that it's futile to in, uh, interpret apocalyptic prophecy. So often attempts to do so lead to wild conclusions and they lead folks down rabbit trails, man, that pull them off mission. Instead, we're to follow Christ's own words. It's not for us to know the details. Instead, we look for the signs. So staying in Matthew 24 for a moment, Jesus says that no one's going to know the day or the hour when these things, meaning the end of the world, will happen. Not the angels in heaven, nor the Son himself. Only God the Father knows. No matter how hard you try, you're going to come up short in predicting the exact timing of the events leading up to the end. It's not our job to get lost in all of that. So he says in 2432 that now learn a lesson from the fig tree, right? When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer's near. In the same way, when you see all these things, signs of the end, right? You can know that Christ, his return is very near. He's right at the door. So my encouragement to you today is to take scriptures like the 77s, learn about them, because I think you should, but really more than that, treasure them. Keep them in the back of your mind. Know that they point to a time where sin and suffering does end, which I think is really important. A, a time where God gains eternal victory, that darkness is vanquished for good, but also know they serve as signs. If you see some things happening, if we had Israel announced today they're building the temple, you might want to pay attention, right? So perhaps that final seven is around the corner. We don't really know. One thing is for certain, though. With apocalyptic prophecy, like we see in Daniel 9, our, our, our time is short. 
Make the most of the opportunities that God's bringing your way. Keep your spiritual life healthy. Be close in your, in your walk with Christ. Keep others in your, in, in, your, in your inner circle close to Christ. Whether the Lord calls you home or He returns, uh, it's going to happen quicker than you realize, right? So don't waste opportunities that come your way. Embrace every door that God opens. Embrace every person He sends your way. Every chance you have to reach those who are far from God, embrace that because the end really is coming one way or another. You want to make sure that you're on mission reaching folks for Christ, not lost looking for all the little signs here and there that Christ is coming back tomorrow or next week or debating people over what they happen to think the end might be pointing to. You want to be focused and be on mission that Christ's return is near. Let me pray for you here today. So, Father, I love you. Thank you for those who are watching and listening right now. Lord, I pray that you would just minister to folks today where they're at. Would you just uh, extend your hand and touch each and every person right now, Lord, who's listening under the sound of my voice. And I pray, God, that you would help us to stay on mission. Remind us that our time is short. Remind us that we should be diligent in looking for the signs of the end, of your coming, of, of your return. Uh, but Lord, we need to be on task and on mission of reaching people for you, our coworkers, our family members, our neighbors, our, our, our friends. Help us, God, our family, to, to, to be on task and focused on winning folks to you and bringing them into your kingdom. Because the end is coming one way or the other. You're going to call us home or you're going to come back. We want to make sure that we're ready. We want to make sure that folks we care about are ready as well. So I pray, Lord, that every opportunity you bring our way, we take advantage of that. We, take, we make the most of it. Help us, too, to stay true to the text. We read through Scripture, especially prophecy, like we have in Daniel chapter 9. I pray that we don't go on crazy rabbit trails. Help us to stay true to the original design and intent that you have there in the text that, that we're reading. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would illuminate what we're reading and, and convict us and show some things that we hadn't seen before. Help us to grow in you as a result of that time studying and, and treasuring your word. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.